Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Hi, everybody. We're back again. Um, and uh, poor Catherine Manu sitting sitting in the uh, Sac Harbor Express office with um, both of her children because school has once again closed. So that came as kind of a shock. Was that just yesterday that the, they decided that? That was Thursday. Is that right, Georgie? Yeah. So we got an email last night um, from the school district. Um, my son's kindergarten teacher actually messaged us this morning and was like, oh my God, I'm just seeing this now. Um, so it was like probably, I don't know, six or seven o'clock and they are just closed for today, um, Friday, December 11th. And they hope to reopen on Monday. Um, but this comes as that school district, which has had very few COVID cases, turn up since school opened every day has announced another case. So I think we're officially up to um, 13. I think it's actually more like 15 COVID cases since school reopened between students and staff. Um, So yeah, it definitely was a little deflating. My son is in first grade and he was supposed to have his first day back with his full class. They're attempting to bring all kids in kindergarten through second grade back for four days of the school week for in-person instruction right now, all of spring school has only um, been getting two days of in-school instruction since school started. So we were like kind of amping up to this exciting moment and now we'll just kind of see what happens. The homeschool model. But you know, I mean, honestly, I, you know, I really believe safety first as exhausting as homeschooling a first grader may be you know, keeping him safe and healthy and our family safe and healthy needs to be the priority for all of these school districts. And, you know, Springs is doing just that. And, you know, if we can keep doing that, hopefully we can at least keep the schools open in some sort of minimal capacity, you know, especially for these little ones. Well, let's do our introductions so we know who who all is talking. So today we have Bill Sutton at the controls. Hey, Bill. Hey, Anad. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Brendan O'Reilly has joined us. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I am the features editor. And of course, Catherine G. Manu, known as Georgie. Hi, Georgie. Hey, Annette. I'm Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I'm the publisher of the Express News Group. My name's Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And um, today, it sort of was, it was perfect what, what poor Georgie's going through, not for her, but for our topic, because we're talking today about the spike in COVID cases. And New York had uh, experienced some really, really tough conditions in March when the pandemic first arrived on these shores. Uh, Most of the cases apparently came from Europe, not so much um, China, because you had a lot of European travelers who were bringing it into New York. And New York um, was probably the first to really get strict about um, gatherings and, and bars and restaurants and public places open. And they were able to sort of tamp it all down by summer. But now, as we see, um, things are starting to get bad again. You know, um, it's spread out more across the country, and a lot of people have been traveling for Thanksgiving. So this week, Brendan wrote a sizable story about what's happening in New York. He um, was able to uh, hear from 
Dr. Anthony Fauci, who spoke with Governor Andrew Cuomo earlier this week by Zoom call. And um, so, Brendan, do you want to just bring us up to speed a little bit but with what, what you've learned in doing this story in the last week? Sure. So uh, the big story that was in the Southampton Press this week uh, that was written by Michael Wright, and I had assisted on some of the reporting because we've been taking turns watching Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone's daily briefings and Governor Andrew Cuomo's nearly da- uh, daily briefings. He he used to do them daily. He did that for more than 100 days. And after that point, they did like a whole show of it when they ended those briefings. And now we're at the point where he has to bring those briefings back. He's only going to do them Monday, Wednesday, Friday, scheduled going forward. And then he's going to do additional ones on an as-needed basis. Uh, those briefings during the early part of the pandemic were a way that so many people stayed informed about what was happening and to see how the state was responding and to hear the grim numbers every day of who was dying. So the fact that these briefings are back can kind of show you how bad things are getting without even hearing what any of the data is. Uh, But a couple of things that happened this past week is that on Monday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the national figure who's leading the nation's COVID response, Uh, He sat in with Governor Cuomo to hear what New York State is doing and to give his feedback on what he thinks New York State is doing right, and also to offer a lot of advice that, of course, we've heard before, that social distancing is important, that wearing masks is important, that limiting gatherings is very important. Dr. Fauci made the point that while New York State does have a cap of 10 people for gatherings, the way that the disease is really spreading is in these small gatherings. It's that maybe eight or nine people get together or even just four or five people get together, but somebody came in who was sick and people thought that's my family member. They weren't sick before they got here. They're not going to get me sick. And it turns out that they were asymptomatic and that they spread that illness to everybody in that living room that day. Uh, We saw that um, Suffolk County is monitoring 13 microclusters this week. They are all due to either Thanksgiving gatherings or recent small family gatherings. And Southampton is one of those 13 clusters. There was a gathering of 10 people, and of those 10, seven people tested positive for COVID. In Manorville, there was a gathering of nine Six out of the nine have since tested positive for COVID. And remember, every time you see one of these clusters, you then have every single person that those nine or 10 people got in touch with, they're now informed that, hey, you've been in close contact with somebody who has COVID or is likely to have COVID, so please quarantine yourself. And that means people uh, missing work, that means kids being pulled out of school, that means trying to find childcare. So what we're seeing now looks a lot like what we were seeing in the spring. The numbers are not going down every day. The numbers are going up every day. Suffolk County is having numbers that we haven't seen for months. And one of the most concerning statistics here in Suffolk County, uh, County Executive Ballone pointed out on Thursday, in August, there were only five deaths in Suffolk County attributed to COVID-19. In September, there was 15. That dropped to six in October before going up to 35 in November. Well, in just the first eight days of December, there were 34 COVID-19 deaths. We're not even halfway through the month. We've already surpassed August, September, and October combined, and we are on pace to at least triple 
the number of COVID-19 deaths that Suffolk County experienced in November. Is that, the, is that a similar number to what we were experiencing in March and April? Uh, it's trending that way. Uh, occasionally, they'll point out that uh, today's numbers or this week's numbers are numbers that we haven't seen since April, and I think that we are at that point. Did Dr. Fauci think that what we're feeling now is sort of the effects of thanks, the Thanksgiving holiday? Like, that's what's hitting us at this point. Yes. He says the peak uh, after a spreader event comes about two or two and a half weeks later, and he was visiting with the governor about a week later, so he said we're like one and a half weeks uh, so out at this point. thank you for that. With regard to the issue of the holiday spread and the peaks, they're going to be superimposed upon each other. So you would expect the full blunt of the travel and the family setting gatherings with friends that you alluded to as being a problem, you'd expect that the effect of the Thanksgiving surge would be probably another week and a week and a half from now, because it's usually two and a half weeks from the time of the event. The problem is that's going to come right up to the beginning of the Christmas Hanukkah potential surge. So you have a surge upon a surge. And then before you can handle that, more people are going to travel over Christmas. They're going to have more of those family and friends gatherings that you accurately said are an issue. So if those two things happen and we don't mitigate well, we don't listen to the public health measures that we need to follow, that we could start to see things really get bad in the middle of January. So I think not only for New York State, but for any state or city that is facing similar problems without substantial mitigation, the middle of January can be a really dark time for us. So what we're going to see is as Hanukkah starts, as Christmas celebration starts, we're going to be at a Thanksgiving peak that is superimposed on top of a start of fall peak. But that kind of double peak is now happening at the start of the Christmas season. So what he expects is that we're going to peak again in the middle of January. He would expect it to go down after then because holiday celebrations and gatherings will have petered off around then. But if people don't get serious about stopping the spread, I'm not personally convinced that the peak is going to be in January and then we'll go down from there. If people don't get serious, uh, we could keep seeing a steep increase in the number of cases and the number of deaths, which always correlates with the number of cases. about those tracker apps on the phone. I just wonder, is that active? Has anybody heard anything about that? I guess your phone will let you know if it's coming close to another phone with the owner who had COVID. Mine's on and I've never been notified of anything. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know how effective that is in actually notifying people or if it's being, you know, widely used or anything. I mean, I know that in the school districts, um, you know, when somebody's testing positive, they are trying everything they can to keep students in school. That's kind of a new philosophy um, for the state in these last few months. The realization that keeping kids in classrooms is, you know, critical right now. So instead of quarantining, 
multiple classrooms or whole school districts, they're trying to do just the kids that maybe were exposed um, directly and unable to socially distance from that child. Um, and you know that's how you know, people are being informed um, that they need to quarantine. Because we were always concerned. If you look at the influenza model, the issue is the kids are in school, they get infected, they come home and they infect their parents and their relatives. We're not finding that with this coronavirus. In fact, to our, uh, I think, real positive uh, spinoff of this is the realization that schools appear to be a place where the positivity, just like you all are seeing it in New York, the whole state, including New York City, you're not alone. We're seeing that in other parts of the country, that the, that the test positivity in school is actually really low, which is really a good thing, which is one of the reasons why, you know, when we were talking about what the best strategy would be, we would say something like, you know, close the bars, keep the schools open is the best thing to do. So long as you subsidize and help the restaurateurs and the bar owners so that they don't go down and essentially crash because of the economic strain. But if we can keep those things under control, subsidize those people, as well as keep the schools open, we'd be in good shape. Yeah. And so I has think there been any backlash right. toward people who have had COVID by community members at those who maybe did test positive and then affected the domino effect of everybody else having to quarantine? Just wondered if we're hearing any of that sort of backlash yet. We are. We're working on a story, I, I think, for, for this week. There was um, uh, a teenage girl in, in Southampton, a student who, um, who had tested positive and um, reported it um, appropriately. And um, a lot, I, I guess they, they, her cohort in school, they, they quarantined so those students couldn't go to school. And uh, she was bullied on, on social media because of that by her friends um, thanking her for, you know, for getting them quarantined and having to sit at home. And then I guess there was, I, I'm not, I don't have all the details of the story, but I guess then some parents got involved and uh, parents were kind of bullying uh, this girl's parents about it. And it, it just, it, it's flabbergasting that, <laughs> that, um, that, that people would treat, you know, treat her that way and treat the parents that way. I mean, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is for the safety of the, of the community, the school community and the community at large. It's just really odd. But it's not unlike what's happening out in Idaho where the council is trying to debate whether to put a mask mandate in place. And while they were on that Zoom call, one of the council person's child was home alone and all of these protesters showed up and were banging on the door and scaring the kid, which is insane. She had to leave the meeting and go home to deal with that. I'm afraid that we're starting to see more of that, very drawn lines. I mean, I think that that's the unfortunate side effect of science being politicized. And, you know, we've talked about this for months, you know, that, you know, people like Dr. Fauci talk about how transmission can be reduced through social distancing and mask mandates. Um, but, you know, we had a national dialogue emerge that, questioned whether that was real, even though it was scientific fact. And unfortunately, um, you know, that's continued and to devastating effects, especially in parts of the Midwest. Um, you know, we went through so much of this before, right? You know, we were in this in March and April. And I think to a certain extent, 
putting Thanksgiving aside, you know, New Yorkers have taken this pretty seriously for the most part. Of course, nobody is perfect. And, and our numbers are, are up in New York State, but they're certainly not as high as states surrounding New York or states in, in the Midwest. I think we've got a, 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 around a 6% positivity rate, which is certainly up from the 1% that we were, that we were in all summer and, and early fall. But I think you know, we're still doing a lot of the right things, hopefully. Well, did you hear out in the Midwest, somewhere out in the Midwest, I guess a hospital had had to bring in morgue trucks to be prepared to deal with the bodies. And um, people showed up and accused them of doing a photo op, like a prop, like it wasn't real. And they were just doing that to scare people, you know, which is just mind boggling to me. But I guess the, I guess the, good, the good news is we have a vaccine on the horizon though, you know, Thank so- God. That's something. So, Brendan, what do um, what do we know about the vaccination situation here in New York, and what can we expect to see in the next couple weeks, months? You know, we're getting off to a start, but uh, it's going to be months before just the average person on the street can get the vaccine, which is what Dr. Anthony Fauci said this week. Between now and the end of December, you would likely get a substantial proportion of healthcare providers and people in your nursing homes. As you get into January, you'll get the second level, and then February 3rd. I would think by the time you get to the beginning of April, you'll start getting people who have no high priority, just a normal man and woman New Yorker in the street who's well, has no underlying conditions. If we get them vaccinated in a full court press, get, get them really going, and you do that through April, May, and June, by the time you get to the summer, because remember, it's a prime boost, which means you get vaccinated today, you get a boost 28 days from now, and then seven to 10 days following that, you're optimally protected, even though you could get some protection even after the first shot. But optimally, it's within seven to 10 days following the second shot. If we do that well, by the time we get into the core of the summer and get to the end of the summer and into the start of the third quarter of 2021, we should be in good shape. Uh, you know, there's supply issues, there's shipping issues because the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at, I believe it's negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit, and you could only take it off of the cold, uh, you know, shortly before administering it to a person. So there are logistical uh, hurdles to get over in order to get this out, but they are prioritizing, you know, our first line of defense first. They are pr prioritizing the medical workers, and then they also have to think about uh, the elderly who are the most vulnerable to the virus. They have to think about people with conditions such as diabetes that make them more vulnerable to the virus. So as we get shipments over time to New York State, the expectation is it's going to be around April, where just a person of an average age can get that vaccination. But even though it starts in April, you have to realize that it's two doses. So you might get the vaccine April 15th, and then two weeks later, you have to get the booster shot. And then it's going to be maybe another week and a half after that, that your vaccine is at its uh, full effectiveness. You might get some protection before that time, but you won't have full protection until then. So we're not going to see a situation where we could start letting our guard down until sometime after April, not only to let the vaccine take effect for the people who had it, but also to try to reach critical mass. Uh, one of the biggest concerns that they have right now is, according to polling, uh, 
it's about 50-50 of who is willing to take the COVID-19 vaccine and who is not willing to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Now those numbers will change as certain people like Dr. Anthony Fauci and and like the president-elect or, or like the current president come out and say, the vaccine is safe, you should take it. And certain people will hear that from the right person and say, okay, I'm ready to take the vaccine now. But we have to get up to about 75% to 80% of the populace vaccinated in order to achieve the herd immunity, for lack of a better term. Yeah, when you have 75, 80% of the people vaccinated, you have an umbrella of protection over the community that the level of community spread will be really, really very low. The virus will not have any place to go. It's almost metaphorically, if you think the virus is looking for some victims, when most of the people are protected, the virus has a hard time latching on to someone. When that happens, governor is gonna be entirely dependent upon how well we do, how well I do, you do, your health officials in getting the message out of why it's so important for people to get vaccinated. Because if 50% of the people get vaccinated, then we don't have that, that umbrella of immunity over us. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com I guess as more people get the vaccine and people who maybe were afraid to get it see that people who are getting it aren't having any adverse side effects from it, um, that maybe that will help improve the compliance as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, and I imagine there is the potential that, you know, for example, just like with certain vaccinations now, you would not be able to send your child to public school um, once it's widely available without a COVID-19 vaccination. Now that hasn't, there's no legislation that's been passed to that effect in New York state, as far as I know. Um, but I'm sure that's something that will be considered. I, I think I, I read that airlines were considering that too, that if you, at some point, if you wanna travel by air, that you would have to prove that you had been vaccinated to travel by air. I think that's a smart idea too. Yeah, there's gonna be like a peer pressure situation going on. Uh, and hopefully it's going to be peer pressure for the good. Well, it's interesting. You know, I was talking to my children about this because in school districts, if you enter one of the, you know, yellow, orange, red zones, depending on what zone you're in, they have to test a certain number of students and teachers in order to remain open. And, you know, I signed up my kids to, you know, to spring school voluntarily, like you want to test my kids, go right ahead. Um, and I talked to them about it, of course. And I said to Ella and Charlie, look, you know, testing is probably going to be a part of our lives for a while, um, especially as we wait for this enormous number of people to receive this vaccination. And, you know, if you want to travel and you want to be able to do certain things that feel quote unquote normal, tests are going to be a part of that moving forward. And you have to start to get comfortable with that. So I wonder, is, and this is interesting, is, is there, have you heard of a lot of parents that don't 
want to allow their children to get tested because I do believe there is a certain suspicion of government. You know, this is part of that whole conspiracy theory and that the government is implanting chips and the vaccine and the idea that the government is somehow more organized than it obviously is and can affect all of these <laughs> things. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's so amazing. It's like, boy, you guys, you guys can't even get your tax return in a decent amount of time. You really think that the government is, is doing all of this nefarious but I wonder if that's going to be an issue and people don't want the tracker on their phone and they don't want to take the vaccine and um, they don't want to allow their children to be tested because, you know, they could be beaming it up to Martians or whatever. The fear is, I just wonder, had you heard anything about that from other parents that really don't want their children to be a part of that effort to test? I mean, honestly, prior to COVID, that already existed there, you know, there was already a, a large anti-vax movement that, you know, has resulted in measles outbreaks, you know, across the country. Um, you know, there was already a, a tremendous amount of that distrust, um, you know, that had emerged in certain communities. So I don't think it's anything new. Um, I know like in the parent groups that I'm a part of, there were questions like, they really just wanted more details on logistics, you know, um, how, when is my child getting tested? Who's doing the testing? Am I allowed to be in the room? Um, you know, the answers of course were the county would be doing the testing and yes, you would be able to be with your child while they were being tested. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think once a lot of logistical questions were answered for most parents, um, you know, that weren't already opposed to their child being included in any sort of data set like this or opposed to vaccination, I think most people are, you know, comfortable with the idea of their child being tested if it means schools can remain open. Because again, if you don't, at minimum, if you've entered one of these zones, if you're not able to test 20% of your student bodies slash staff, you can't be open for in-person learning. Um, and I think the studies have been abundantly clear that um, in-person learning is critical for these kids, especially the younger ones. So it does seem like New York's done a better job than a lot of states as far as uh, really coming up with a plan and a scientific way to sort of track the way that COVID's working. And Brendan, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, about how, um, how New York fared in all this and how doc what Dr. Fauci's assessment was of how New York was um, maybe compared to some uh, other parts of the country. Well, among the remarks that Dr. Fauci made on Monday while speaking with the governor live was that he had watched what New York was doing in the spring, and he appreciated the fact that every time things seemed to be going in the direction of getting out of control, uh, New York would do something new to slow down the spread. And we're going to help. On the question of the, this state's infection rate versus other states, where lower than all states besides uh, Vermont, Maine, Hawaii. Does that surprise you? And how do you explain that? You know, I have to say, being a New Yorker, Governor, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, you, you guys, as you and I have discussed on many phone calls that we've had, you got hit, you know, with a, with a sucker punch right from the beginning when, when the cases came in from Europe and the Northeastern corridor, particularly New York State, particularly the metropolitan area, got hit really, really badly. You recovered from that. Was after you got hit badly, your baseline level went way, way down and very, very low. And then you did things 
which were the appropriate way to avoid getting resurging. So the bad news, and it's painful for me to see it from a distance to my place of birth, but you guys got really slammed. And then you rebounded, and you rebounded in a way that you kept your test positivity low because you did the prudent things that you need to do. And I was following it from here in Washington, and I was seeing that whenever it looked like things were getting a little out of hand, you tightened the rope a little bit. And then when things went back, you eased up a little bit. And, so I'm not surprised. Uh, you may remember back in the spring that uh, one of the metaphors that Governor Cuomo liked to use was to turn the dial up and turn the dial down. So if if you can recall those early days where we went from no gatherings of more than 100 people, no gatherings of more than 50, no gatherings of more than 15, and then the day came when they said no uh, no gatherings that are not essential of more than two people. So we kept seeing uh, things tighten and tighten and tighten. And Dr. Fauci thought that we were doing the right thing then. And we'll see some of that tightening again, probably in the next, um, you know, in the next month or two as the numbers continue to go up, I would imagine. Yes. Well, restaurants are one of the areas where it looks like that could come soon. Uh, it depends on the cases, of course, but in New York City, the restaurants are allowed open at 25% capacity right now. Outside of New York City, they are allowed open up to 50% capacity, unless, of course, your area is in an orange zone, and then they are already closed. But if cases do go up, the governor says that uh, New York City is going to go from 25% capacity to zero, and outside of New York City is going to go from 50% to 25%. And it seems like the outdoor dining is coming to an end. I happened to drive by um, a restaurant in Bridgehampton and they still had their heaters out and they still had candles on the table. So I guess that they're still trying it. But I'm just wondering, like, how long can the restaurants hang on and, and keep doing outdoor dining in order to bring in some income going into these cold months now? I think you have to order cold food, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. stick with the cocktails yeah. on ice. That's going to be key. I mean, it's getting nerve wracking because I think unemployment benefits are going to be running out here very soon for a whole lot of people. I mean, you know, on the day after Christmas, you know, how's that for timing? And um, and unless they can really start passing some serious money, they really just need to come up with a way to pay these restaurants and businesses that have to close in order that they can do that. And just, I mean, I, I feel like it's just like we always said Groundhog Day all over again. If everybody had just shut down for three or four weeks you know, in March and gotten paid to stay home, this would be done by now, I feel. I mean, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not a scientist, but I play one on the radio. Well, there's always going to be, you know, that one person that doesn't follow protocol. And all it takes is one person to spread the virus, uh, even when, you know, 99.9% .9 of everybody else is doing the right thing. Right. So it's going to be a long, cold winter. Is that what you're telling us, Brendan? Uh, you know, that that's how it looks. We're not vaccinated yet. Um, when this virus first came to New York, you know, we were in winter and we were going into the warm season. So it's more bearable, right? Like we got locked down. Okay. For the first couple of weeks, you know, it was still cold. We stayed indoors. And then we said, well, it's kind of nice out. Maybe I should go for a walk today. And then you see everybody and his brother is outside walking, bicycles started to sell out uh you know it was a lot easier to take 
having cases rising when you're going into the days getting longer and the days getting warmer. Now we have cases rising as the days get shorter and grow colder. And I think that there's going to be a lot more mental health effects on people. There's going to be a lot more people willing to break the protocol just so they could have some human contact. Um, We were able to figure things out before, right? We were able to take a few weeks or a few months and say, oh, we could do outdoor dining. We could do this. And now, you know, now what do we do? We can go back to takeout, but we're not in a time where we could say, hey, everybody put chairs out on the patio. We're going to allow restaurants to do outdoor dining and that's going to help you stay afloat. What do we do now? There's not a lot of relaxed restrictions on restaurants um, allowing them to use sidewalks, allowing them to spread out a bit and put heaters outside. What can we do to help the restaurants now other than individuals ordering lots and lots of takeout? Yeah. Are you guys uh, ordering takeout or eating out these days or are you sort of drawing back a little bit? We ordered takeout last night actually from um, Coche Comador in Amagansett and it was delicious. Um, we try, I think, you know, we're trying at least because look, we're employed, right? Like we've kept our jobs. So we try to once a week order from a local establishment. Um, while we do do a lot of cooking, you know, in our own home and, you know, certainly like everybody else, I think right now, um, you know, are trying to be conservative financially. It's incumbent on us to support our local businesses, you know, and, with Christmas right around the corner, I'd just take this moment to encourage people, you know, to safely shop locally. Um, a lot of local stores are, you know, offering digital ways to purchase local products. Um, but yeah, you know, we have to support our local businesses through what Brendan is correct. And I think saying it's going to be a very long, cold winter for a lot of people. My hope for the local businesses is that a lot of people who would never have normally been here in January and February will still be here and still at least shopping somewhat locally, maybe more. So even though this has been a real burden on them, maybe having more customers in the months where normally it's very, very quiet will actually help. Retail-wise, you've seen that already, at least in um, communities like Sag Harbor, um, from talking to local businesses, you know, this fall was a, a banner fall because there's so many people here still. Um, you know, but again, like, as Brendan noted, restaurants are in a very different boat, you know, now that it's getting colder and, you know, sitting outside is less of an option. Unless you're really used to the cold. At the Maidstone CO in um, East Hampton, I, I just used to love going there in the winter because um, they're Scandinavian and they're not afraid of doing stuff outside. And I just remember the, the front porch would have those Adirondack chairs with the big fluffy white blankets um and like candles and it's like you just gotta you just gotta embrace the season like for example the story that i did in the arts and living section this week it's interesting it's the couple from the north Fork. they're broadway professionals he's a, a composer and orchestrator and she's a costume designer and they had 10 jobs around the world on broadway off broadway in london and everything shut down so they brought their young son to greenport and they're like what are we going to do we got to do some kind of theater so they're doing through the 20th at Greenport's First and South Restaurant and Bar. They have a friend of theirs who's an actor who's doing sort of a one-man Christmas carol with the kind of, it's supposed to be 50 years after a Christmas carol. So he's sort of retelling the story of Scrooge. But he's on this wraparound porch at the restaurant 
and they all the audience sits in a tent on the patio and socially distanced they have blankets and it's a free course dinner and i'm just like wow that's pretty impressive so that sounded pretty cool i was i was i'm on the north fork so i was um thinking of that as an option maybe and it's a price fix um i think it's you know it's about 100 bucks and then wine is extra but it sounds really cozy and really cool and um these two people it's um vanessa luke and ethan pop the husband and wife and they know what they're doing they're they're broad they've been doing broadway for a long time so it's kind of fun i mean it's something that's never been i've never seen in greenport um and um yeah so if you guys you know, want to sit outside and get a little Christmas spirit and embrace the cold rather than fight it. That's the place to go through the 20th. It's going to be a little warmer this weekend, I think. So maybe that would be a good time to do it. That would be fun. Yeah, lots of fun. So ultimately, I, I don't know, I feel really good that we live in a state that believes in really coming up with these ways to measure things. You know, I think it would be really frightening to live somewhere where you don't, um, nobody really has a handle on it you know perhaps i don't want to say silver lining but look i mean you know we've we've been through this before and i think the medical community has made great strides in in how they're how they're treating um you know covid19 and while the numbers are going up and it's scary to see the number of deaths increasing again in in suffolk county um i i think that there was that whole element of surprise in the spring and not knowing what to do and how to take care of this and how to take care of people with it and um you know hopefully if the numbers do continue to increase um and the medical community doesn't get overrun with it you know with with patients that they're doing a better job and and hopefully you get more people coming through it at, at the end you know yeah they know how to treat it better i hope so yeah that's good and i think we also hope you know that maybe people are recognizing that this Thanksgiving spike could have been avoided somewhat and maybe second guessing, you know, their holiday plans for Hanukkah and Christmas a little bit, you know, um, I miss being with my family. I'm sure all of us do. Um, I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. It was a very small, intimate Thanksgiving this year. And it'll be a really small, intimate Christmas because, you know, I want to do the right thing. And hopefully more people recognize that and, you know, stay home. To, to that note, I know a couple podcasts ago, I had talked about my plans to go up to Rochester for Thanksgiving. And I do want to say that, you know, as, as the numbers, you know, were going up and, and Rochester went into an orange zone and um, it just, it just became too, too scary. And, and I changed my plans and um, you, you've got to, you've got to be able to pivot, which is one of the new words of, of 2020. And, and you've got to be able to, uh, you know, to second guess yourself and make different, uh, different decisions. And it was disappointing. And, you know, and my family in Rochester was very disappointed, but I'll see them soon, hopefully, and we'll all be uh, vaccinated and, you know, and it won't be as scary. And you had your dogs with you, so they're always good company, right? My dogs, you know, they're really good uh, Thanksgiving eaters. So, uh, yeah, it was fine. They eat all the uh, the innards that you don't want anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had Thanksgiving with all the windows open, which was a little chilly, but it was okay. Like I said, you have to channel your inner Nordic blood. You know, that's all there is to it. And just embrace the cold, make a hot toddy, and settle in for a long winter's nap. Mm. So there we go. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, thank you. I've got to go print out my kids' schoolwork now. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. <laughs> 
27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.